0: Exodus chapter 3. You can find that on page 45 in the Pew Bibles. Our focus this evening will be the first 15 verses. Children, here are your questions for this evening. First, what strange thing happened when Moses was tending his sheep? Two, who started speaking to him? And three, what does God mean when he tells Moses... I am. And if you can answer that, you're a true theologian and beyond. <laughs> Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 this is the word of God. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you, When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you for your word. And there are certain passages in your Holy Scripture, all of which are meaningful, but some of which stop us in our tracks. Even as Moses stopped in his tracks in your presence, Lord, so when we hear your voice declaring who you are, we stop. And we are, or at least ought to be, in awe that we are in your presence. And we've just heard your voice in your word. And now as we move from your word being read, we pray that you would be with us as we have your word preached. Please send your Holy Spirit in a special way and please help each one of us to receive from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Moses has been tending sheep for 40 years at this point. Uh, After his flight from Egypt, he went there and he stayed with a family there, a Midianite family. At this point, he's a married man with children. There were probably times in his life when he reflected back on his unusual life being snatched out of a basket, being raised at first in a Hebrew family, then being raised in the palace of the Egyptians in Pharaoh's own household. He especially would have been remembering his people. We know that that's one of the things that was on his mind. But that idea that he had so long ago that he was going to be the deliverer of God's people doesn't seem at this point to be prominent in his mind, probably faded over the years. He undoubtedly thought to some extent that he was a failure. There's no indication that during those years or even up until this point that he was seeking God's will for himself to be a deliverer. Or that he was necessarily seeking God's will for his life at all. Uh, Seeking for direction. It's not as if he was saying to the Lord all along, I'm itching to go back to Israel. I'm sorry, itching to go back to Egypt and deliver your people. There's nothing like that. He was probably saying in his mind, it's a shepherd's life for me. Looking back and saying, yeah, I was once a prince in Egypt. And now I'm a lowly shepherd here out on these hills. But he was still God's man. And even though he didn't know it, God had been preparing him through all of his experiences, even his failures, to be that man that God would use to deliver his people out of bondage, out of the bondage of Egypt. He was preparing him to be the great deliverer that he's known to be. He's living his life. He's minding his own business when suddenly everything changes very dramatically. He's tending the flock, minding his own business. He's on Mount Horeb, and Moses has an experience that he will never forget for many different reasons. He's walking along, and he sees a bush that's on fire. Now, I've read and I've been told that it's not unusual in that kind of wilderness to, for bushes to combust to catch on fire and it's no big deal. But there's something weird about this bush that gets Moses' attention and so he looks closer and he ends up having a fiery encounter. Now I think when we read it here and it says that there was an angel of the Lord in the bush, that's retrospective. He's looking back and he realizes that it was an angel's voice. At this point, as far as we know, all he sees is this This bush that's on fire. And the bush isn't getting consumed. The fire keeps going, but it's not burning up the bush. And so you have this bush that doesn't get destroyed, and you have this fire that apparently doesn't need any fuel to keep it going. And we start to see that there are symbols here in this situation. None of it makes sense. It doesn't make sense until, until the Lord starts speaking. We can't help but wonder, what, what are the symbols in this bush? I always get a little nervous, a little uneasy in trying to say exactly what a symbol is when scripture is not precisely clear. But I have to think, and there are others in the company that believe this, that the bush represents Israel, God's people. And they are just a lowly bush compared to some of the great grand trees that represent other nations. They're a lowly bush. And some say that the fire shows that they're in the fire of affliction. And yet, they're not destroyed. A remnant's preserved. Now, as for the fire, I tend to go in a little different direction that it, than that it simply symbolizes that Israel's in a fiery furnace, I think that the fire represents God himself. Represents God himself. In this case, he's not a consuming fire, as he's mentioned to be in some places, but I think, think we're giving some insight into the eternal nature of God that will be explained in just a little while when he declares who he is. But he doesn't need anything to keep him alive. He's self-sustaining. He's self-sustaining. And he's in the midst of his people, Israel. He's their fire, he's their light, he's their heat, he is their guidance, but even more so, he is their God, as we'll see, is borne out in his self-description. But again, Moses recognizes then that that he is an angel of the Lord. But if you follow the narrative, as often happens with the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord turns out to be God manifesting himself, pre-incarnate Christ, as an angel of the Lord who is the Lord himself. We go from the angel speaking in the narrative to the fact that it's God speaking in the narrative. Calls out to Moses, Moses, Moses. Moses responds immediately, here I am. You have my full attention. (laughs) I'm at your command. Well, God makes it clear, first things need to be understood first. Realize who I am. Realize whose presence it is that you are in. You are in my holy presence. Don't come near, don't come near to that which is so infinitely holy. And as a symbol of your respect, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Understand there's nothing sacred about the dirt under Moses' feet. It's the presence of God that makes all of this holy. Moses needs to be in awe in the presence of God. God introduces himself to Moses in a way that we haven't seen him introduce himself before. It's in response to Moses' questions. To Moses' questions, God introduces himself, first of all, in a common way that he's done before as the covenant God of Israel. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as soon as he realizes that he's in the presence of this God, Moses does what any sensible person would do in the presence of God. He hides his face. He recognizes that he's in the presence of the holy God. It reminds me of Isaiah in his vision when he's undone, when he recognizes the thrice holy God being worshipped in the temple. Or when Peter, after the, the miraculous catch of fish, he says to to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Well, Moses, in reference to questions that we'll get to in just a moment, asks, who are you? Who are you? see, God has a place for Moses in his plan, and I want to jump ahead and consider who it is that God, who it is that's speaking to Moses before we actually look at the plan. Moses' question right away is, is first of all, who am I that you would send me, God tells him, I'm going to send you into Egypt and you're going to go speak to Pharaoh? And Moses says, who am I to go and speak to Pharaoh? And who am I to even go speak to your people? I'm a nobody, basically. But then when I get there, who do I say you are? Who do I say sent me? God gives a definitive, complete, unchallengeable answer. And it's so perfectly simple that it can only be in reference to the one God that there is. He says, I am. I am. And that gives more clarity than the people of God have had up until this point. This is the first place we come across this I am, this Yahweh. And in a sense, it's a name. It's something that we can call God, but it's much more than a name. It really speaks of his being, of his person. It's a statement of being. It's a title not suitable to any other. Yahweh is the one who is, the existent one, the one. It's all that needs to be said. Self-derived, self-originated. Children like to ask, who made God? The answer is nobody. Nobody made God. We can't answer that question, he is. We can simply say, he is. God is. He says, I am. And we think of all the attributes that we understand about God, all the things that we recite in the catechism, all those wonderful descriptions of who God is and what he does, and all of those are subsumed under this one title, I am I am. This is the one God. Paul, when he's speaking to the Athenians who had this unknown God, says the God that you don't know is the God in whom we live and move and have our being. The God that you don't know is the God of Israel. He's Yahweh and his people. His people do know him. And if you recognize who God is, the I am, you'll be in reverence and fear. There's no place in mankind for flippancy when it comes to God. No place. And it should deeply disturb us when we hear flippant attitudes towards God or towards Jesus or towards anything that's truly sacred. We hear it all the time. We hear it in our culture. We hear it in our media. We hear it in our entertainment. Where God, this holy I am, is seen as a trivial being. When in reality, everyone should be in awe as we should be in awe. Then we get to the call that Moses is receiving from I am. And God tells him, it's, it's time. I have seen and I've heard the people's distress in their bondage in Egypt. And it's time for them to be delivered. But Moses needs to understand that first and foremost, he, God, I am, is the deliverer. God is the deliverer. Moses is the instrument. Notice that God doesn't give Moses a pep talk. God doesn't say to Moses, you can do this. You've got this. You're gifted. No, this is about God's deliverance. Yes, Moses had to be trained. Yes, he had to be skilled. Yes, God was training him for the leadership that he would have to exercise. But God is the deliverer, and through his almighty power, he will deliver his people. And so Moses' sufficiency, and this is something that he had to learn at this point, and he'll keep needing to learn it, by the way, as he goes, is that his sufficiency is in God. And the confidence that he can have is when God says to him, I will be with you. I will be with you. And you can be sure that this deliverance is going to be a sure thing. The proof, the proof will not come until you actually are used to deliver people out of Egypt and you come back on this mountain. And that really is a test of Moses' trust and faith. He has no idea how long this might take. He has no idea what it might require. He has no idea what it's going to be like to lead these people out of Egypt and to actually bring them back to the mountain. But when he comes back to this mountain, there will be a covenant renewal and God will make it clear that he delivered them. And so we'll leave off our narrative here tonight, but I want us to fast forward ahead to the one who is finally the great Deliverer, the one who is all-sufficient, our Lord Jesus Christ, whose very name, whose very name Yeshua or Joshua means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And here the second person of the Trinity comes and manifests in the flesh, comes to deliver us. And we're reminded again and again of the sufficiency of Christ to deliver us not out of some earthly bondage, but out of bondage to sin and bondage to the devil and bondage to death. And Jesus very specifically uses the term I am numerous times to describe himself. And I want to go through some of them just to remind you of some of the things he says about himself as the I am. And it's no surprise that most of them are found in the Gospel of John, because Gospel of John, if you want to look at his main thrust, is to show people that Jesus truly is the second person of the Trinity in the flesh. He says so much in his Gospel. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The first one I want you to look at, and please turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and there are a number of them. And I'll just touch on most of them very lightly for tonight. First of all, John 8 beginning into verse 24. He's having this engagement uh, with the leaders who are constantly harassing him. Pick up in verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. I am he. Then we have this whole string, it will be familiar to you, of I am's. Just listen, I won't turn to all the different references. But first, I am the bread of life. I am the one who will feed your soul. I am the light of the world. You no longer have to walk in darkness. I am the door of the sheep. To enter the fold, you have to come through Jesus. I am the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. There is no life outside of me. Now jump back to John chapter 8, if you're still there. Now pick up in verse 54. Jesus answered, "I will glor- If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Listen closely now. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Their response, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus clearly declaring he is Yahweh before their very eyes. A me is the Greek, I am. Jump over to John 18, beginning in verse 4. Coming towards the end here, Jesus being betrayed and arrested, verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing that all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, this is to the soldiers arresting Jesus, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. I am. Our translation adds the he. Jesus says to them, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, or I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. These were not just words. This was not just a simple answer to their question about who they were seeking. This is Jesus declaring himself as God. One final one, Revelation chapter 1. Picture of Jesus in glory. Remember that this is a vision, but it's a profound Undoing vision. And again, it's the Apostle John. Revelation 1, beginning in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forever and I have the keys of death and Hades. I am the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus Christ saying to John, saying to us, I am from the beginning to the end. I have no beginning, I have no end. Well, tonight there may not be much personal application except to say that this should be nothing short of devotional awe. Not fear, not dread, because if we're in good standing with the Lord, we can have confidence in the presence of I am, still with complete reverence, with reverential fear but alive and standing and living in the presence of the living God. And when that first strikes us, that we are in his presence, we may want to fall down like John as though we were dead. We get up and the awe continues. We're in the presence of God, but we recognize that in Christ, we're reassured that he is our friend and our keeper and our Lord. This is your God. Moses needed to know that, didn't he? When he was about to go into Egypt, he needed to have courage to go where God was sending him. This is our God, too. The same Yahweh God is with us, manifest in the person of Jesus, and with us just as much as he was with Moses back in the day. May that be a great comfort and encouragement to you all. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we thank you for your presence that does inspire awe when we pause to really take it in. And Lord, in one sense, we ought to be undone, being in your holy presence. But Lord, you've drawn near to us and you encourage us in your word to draw near to you. That's an awesome thing for us to consider. But we know because of your great love for us, you sent your Son. I am in the flesh to reconcile us to you so that we might bask in the presence of your glory, not being consumed as we know that you are consuming fire, but living and alive in the presence of you, the one eternal God, our great Yahweh. We worship you and we adore you. Amen. The closing hymn is hymn number 561, Lord, speak to me that I may speak. And we'll please stand as we sing together.